Good morning. I'm Pastor Ron. I'm a pastor of the student ministries here uh, at the Evangelical Free Church of Crystal Lake. When you uh, think of Crystal Lake and you think of us as a church, what do you think we're known for? What is the Evangelical Free Church of Crystal Lake actually known for in Crystal Lake? One of the things should be our long history that we've had here in Crystal Lake. In uh, 1893, the Swedish Missions Church began here in Crystal Lake, which is part of our legacy and, and heritage. In February uh, 14th of 1903, uh, we became an Evangelical Free Church of America. And so we have a long history in Crystal Lake that's very different than some of the other churches. We've been here from the days of farming till the days of 14 being filled with everything. Um, back in the day when I was younger, you would drive down 14 and McHenry County College was in the middle of 14 next to Eagle Grocery Store. And now you drive down there and it's something all the way down it. Or Randall Road, when you drove down Randall Road, it was all cornfields. Well, now it takes hours to get down Randall Road. Um, Stoplights everywhere. But Paul in Philippians 2 is going to remind us of what the church should do as the body. And so we'll get into that in a minute. But what really is the purpose of the church? Mark Denver says this in The Marks of a Church. The proper ends of the local congregation's life and actions are the worship of God, the edification of the church, and the evangelization of the world. These three purposes turn to serve the glory of God. The local church exists to glorify God through worshiping him, edifying his people, and evangelizing the world. And so that's a pretty clear definition and purpose of what the church is to be. Today, in Philippians 2, Paul is going to address what it looks like for the edification of the body. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in his book, Life Together. Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it is a brief, single encounter of a daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another through Jesus Christ. And so we know that the body of Christ is tied together and unified by Jesus himself. And Paul's going to be very clear about that as we dive into Philippians 2. But as we think about the Evangelical Free Church of Crystal Lake, uh, those of us that are members of this body have been summoned to follow a commitment. And this is what it says in that commitment as a member of the church. We will protect the unity of the church fellowship. We will do this by acting in love towards all members, refusing to gossip or and refusing to gossip, and we were called to follow our leaders. The second one is this: I will share in the responsibility of the church family. I will do this by praying for its health, growth, inviting the unchurched to attend and meet Jesus, and warmly welcoming people. That's the commitment that we have to one another as members of the Evangelical Free Church of Crystal Lake. And so Paul in Philippians is giving us this understanding that this church 
and all of church is about Jesus. If we go back to when Paul wrote this letter in jail, he's writing to believers so that they understand the depth of love that he has for them and the depth of love they need to have for Jesus himself, realizing that salvation and knowing Jesus changes everything about you. And I think that's something that we forget, that knowing Jesus changes everything about us. Our identity is different. We are a child of God. We're called to love God and love people and live a life that is worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, which Paul says at the end of chapter uh, one. And so Philippians is filled with this idea of joy, that joy comes out of being obedient, comes out of loving God, comes out of suffering, comes out of hard days, comes out of the things that are not easy in life. But because we know Jesus, he sustains us through all of that. And so Paul gives us clarity when he starts in chapter 1 by saying, you know what, there's going to be some external things that are going to come up against you. You're going to suffer. You're going to have hard days. There's going to be people attacking you. But you know what, if you live for Jesus, it will get you through everything and we heard the young men teach us from uh, Philippians 1, 27, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That really life is all about Jesus. When it comes down to it, we live to glorify God and we live to walk intimately with Jesus. And Paul says later in Philippians 3 that we should count everything lost for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And it's not just the knowledge of knowing him, it's the knowledge of experiencing his love every day of our life as we choose to love him above everything else. And Paul's going to be pretty clear in Philippians 2 that that's the way we should live. And so we can dig in to Philippians 2. And we're going to learn today that the church is to walk in unity and humility with one another as we follow Jesus' example the church is to walk in unity and humility with one another as we follow Jesus' example. That's Paul's call to the church, that the inside of the church should be marked by the way that we love, the way that we sacrifice, the way that we serve, and the way that we glorify God together. And so we can dig in to verse 1, and this is what it says. Uh, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, any common uh, sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. So Paul's calling us that if you have any encouragement from being united from Christ, knowing him, walking with him, having him be the Lord of your life, then you should desire more and more and more of that. Not just on Sundays, not just once a week, but you should be driven to wake up every day wanting to walk with Jesus, to make him the Lord of your life. And the word encouragement here isn't just this superficial type of surface love and encouragement. It's talking about this strength. It's talking about helping. It's talking about being strong. And it's talking about being brave 
and the world we live. And so if we have any comfort of this love, we need to understand that it comes from God himself. And 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, God is the God of all comfort. And what Paul's reminding of, of us of that is that God is love. That it's who he is, that his character, all that he is, is surrounded by his love. And that gets displayed into our everyday life. And the, the, the love of God is what makes us strong. It's what makes us brave in this world. It changes everything about us. And I don't think we understand that sometimes. That God's love makes us brave to face anything in this life. It's the courage that we need to fight when things are hard. And it's because he's present in our life. We experience that love by the way he gave us his only son who died on the cross and rose again and set us free from the bondage of sin so that we could walk in the bravery of his love each and every day of our life. We don't live on this earth in our own strength and that's what Paul's trying to help us understand. That it comes from this intimate relationship with Jesus that changes everything And he goes on to say that then I'm going to give you my spirit and that spirit's going to dwell inside of you and he's going to work in you and change you and mold you to become more like me. And that's what's going to give you the strength and the energy to love each other in the church when it's not easy, when it is hard. Paul's reminding us that this tenderness and this compassion of God should be as common as the water we drink every day and the air that we breathe. It's part of everything. That because God has created all of this and he's created us in his image and in his likeness, he's given us his love and his tenderness and his compassion to fill us up so that we then practice that and live that out in our everyday life. God designed it that way. And sin has messed it up and made it messy. But a God who designs it for us to live in community like that shows of his worthiness. It shows of his need for glory. Because he's designed it that way. It's so freeing to understand that this is not something that man made up. But this is something that God instilled for our well-being to display his goodness and his benevolence in our life. That living in community, living inside of the church in a healthy way within Jesus is what he's designed us to do. And so when we think about it, Paul went on in 1 Corinthians 12 to talk about the fact that the body is made up of many different parts. But all of those parts make one body. That all of us together do what needs to be done to give God glory, to make his name known, to make disciples, to love and serve the community, to love and serve one another in the church. So if we think about this in this analogy, we had an amazing choir number, right? They were on key, it sounded amazing, everything was great about it. But it only takes me standing up in the middle of that to make it sound awful. I have no idea what 
key is. I know what, don't know what harmony is. I don't know how to sing. I would make a mess of it. It would sound horrible. Well, that's what sin does to community, right? God designed it to be unified with Jesus for it to be harmony, for it to be for the benevolence of us. And yet, because of sin, it gets messy and it gets hard and it sounds horrible sometimes. But what if you had a Tesla, right? And you pulled into the parking lot, everybody's admiring, it looks good, right? And you park it in there, show off the engine, everybody's excited about it. But what happens if you take the battery out? That car is useless, right? It has no purpose. Well, when you take Jesus out of community, it changes everything. Jesus is the battery. He is what gives it life. He is what gives it purpose. He is what gives it the ability to move forward and love one another and serve one another and sacrifice for one another and give God glory. So Paul goes on in verse 2 to say, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the Spirit and one in mind. He's calling us to remind us that unity is the goal, right? That unity is what needs to happen in the body of Christ. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomprehensible joy and strength to the believer. So just like Paul, when Paul's saying, make my joy complete, give me the joy I'm pursuing to see that come alive in the church in Philippi is the same thing that should be in our hearts. May we experience joy of being together. May we experience the joy of God working in our community. May we experience the joy of the unification of our church so that we can continue to be like-minded and live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and serve like Jesus, and sacrifice like Jesus for God's glory and for the benefit of all of us together. This isn't just one person's responsibility. The unity of the church is everyone's responsibility. It's our responsibility to one another to seek to live like that together. And so we move on to verses 3 and 4 when we're going to talk about humility and what that looks like. And those verses read, "Do Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Paul's reminding us that to be part of the body of Christ, to live in community together, can't be me-focused. It can't be about me. I can't show up wanting all my needs to be met. I can't think that I'm the center of the universe. I can't think that everything that's happening around me is for my benefit. Paul's calling us to not live that way, to deny ourselves to think of the interests of others above ourselves. He went on to use the word conceit, right? Which is basically saying, don't be the hero of the story every time. Don't seek to your self-interest. Don't seek to be, get recognition for everything you do. Don't seek to be, look for fame in this world. Seek to live 
humility in the body and in the world you live in. We understand this completely inside of us. We all have these desires in ourselves that are self-focused. It started when we were little kids. If you've been to Walmart or Target, or as I forgot, first hour I got reminded to say Toys R Us, or you've been, if you've been in Crystal Lake long enough, you've been to Zare or Montgomery Wards, right? You've all experienced what self-focus looks like, right? Some of us as kids screamed when we wanted the toy, right? We pleaded with our parents, give me the Legos, give me the car, right? And then we lost it, we screamed and we yelled and we got out of control. That's self-focus. That's me first. That's not what Paul's writing about. It's hard because even as adults, we're self-focused. We have tantrums. We scream, me first, before everybody else. We show up to church sometimes and we say, me first, before everybody else. Let someone else say hi to me before I say hi to them. Right? We can be self-consumed. This world we live in, right? Social media is all about being consumed with oneself, putting the right pictures up, putting the right life up, so everyone thinks there's, everything's perfect. Paul would not support social media, right? And neither would Jesus, because life is not about putting me first. Community is not about putting me first. And Paul's remembering Reminding the church, like, if you want to avoid conflict, if you want to avoid the messiness, then you got to be willing to not put yourself first above everything else in this world, before everyone else in the community. He's calling us to walk in humility with one another. C.S. Lewis says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. We don't need to tear ourselves down and beat ourselves down to be humble. It's just thinking of our needs a little bit less. It's about looking around us and seeing where we can walk in humility and follow Jesus' example and put others above ourselves. But sin messes that up. And we know that in James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. Our self-focus is built on our pride. It's built on our self-righteousness. It's built on us putting ourselves on the throne of our life. And to walk in humility means that we've got to give that up. We've got to choose to walk as Jesus walked. We've got to choose to walk in humility. To look around us and see the needs of our fellow believers and want to do something about it. In Acts, there's so many stories about how the early church lived this out. But one of them in Acts 4, uh, starting in verse 32, it says this. All believers were of one heart and mind. So the beginning of the church is following just what Paul said in Philippians 2. They were unified in heart. They were single focused. They were going to love God and love people. 
And out of their love for God and their immense affection for him, they were then going to serve and love the people around us. And so that's how it begins. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own. They were selfless. They were willing to look to the interests of others. They shared everything. We know how hard that is. We can go back to screaming in the store. When we got the new toy and we got home, it was nobody else's but ours. We weren't going to share the new toy with the people around us. We were going to play with it until it broke. But the church is supposed to think of others before themselves. They're supposed to share what they have for the benefit of those around them. And this is a great verse in verse 33. It says, With great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in all of them. God was at work in their midst. They were living the design that he created for the church to, to be. They were sacrificing and giving to one another. They were walking in the same uni- unity of mind and heart. And he was at work in their midst. People came to Christ in their midst. Lives were changed in their midst because they were practicing what God had called them to do. That's the gift to us, right? This is what God's calling us to do. And when we do that, the blessings flow into our life. We experience more of God's love. We experience that through Jesus and through those that are part of the family of God. That's a gift. And there's verse 34 says that there were no needy person among them. For from and it's time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. That's what Paul's talking about for the church to be, to look to the interests of others above themselves, that no one would have need in the body of Christ, that no one in the, would have need in the evangelical free church of Crystal Lake, that we would be willing to look to model Jesus with one another, to love and serve Jesus with, uh, and be able to pour into each other to meet our spiritual needs and our physical needs. And God will work in the midst of it. That's the beautiful thing about community. It's what God's designed. It's what God gave for our benevolence, for our good. And he's given for all of us to experience that. But sometimes community, there's brokenness and there's sin. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. So in community, there's going to be mistakes. We're going to sin against each other, but we're called to forgive one another. Also, God created the body of Christ in community for there to be diversity, like we read in First. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 12. That's diversity of race and class. It's the, the diversity of spiritual gifts that he gives for the well-being of the body. We need to value diversity. We need to look beyond our pride and our selfishness and be willing to embrace what God has designed for his church for his glory, and to make his name known. We're called to be a community that's driven by love. 
that we would live out love inside so that the world sees something different and they want to be a part of it. That's the gift of what God's design in community and what Paul's writing about that avoids, that builds community and, avoid, and brings unity and brings these things for us to experience. And the outside world should see that that's different here. That pe- the people who have surrendered everything to Jesus live differently. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, said this to tie all this together in Philippians. He said, one, hold your tongue. Be careful what you say to one another. Realize that everyone in here is a sinner and needs grace. Listen long to one another. Be patient and give understanding to one another. Be willing to stop and help when the unexpected needs come. Don't rush by the needs, but be willing to stop when the needs arise. Forgive one another. Be willing when someone wrongs you, which happens in community, be willing to forgive them. Share truth when needed. Sometimes when we make mistakes, we need people to speak truth into our life. We need people to speak the power of God's words into our life to bring peace in our hearts. We do that for one another. Then he calls us to humbly serve one another without recognition. Be willing to give and love and serve those around us with not getting anything back in return. And so Paul goes on to give us Jesus' extreme example of what this looks like through his life. Verses 5 through 11 um, is a, a hymn that was written, and it, it brings context to how this fits into Jesus' life. He is really the extreme example of what it means to look to the interests of others above himself. And this hymn that was put into this passage helped build the idea of that. And so we start in verse 5 when it says, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. So Paul's reminding us, right, that we're to resemble Jesus in our midst together in community. That just like Jesus in Matthew 22 called us to love God and, and love our neighbor as ourselves, he's calling us to live like that by being ones who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, living out his example in this world. When we adopt his mindset and his attitude in our lives, we understand what unity means. We understand what love means. We understand what forgiveness means. We understand what it means to be humble. We understand what it means to serve. And we understand what it means to sacrifice. And so Paul's giving us clarity of that by adding these verses to so that we see the rich theology in, in the person of Jesus Christ. And these are amazing verses. And we don't have all the time. Um, we'd be here for another 30 minutes or an hour. It could take six messages to pull these, the truths of just these short verses out of. So we're taking kind of a high view over them to help us understand what it really means to live like Jesus. And so we begin in verse 6, and it says this, Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So we understand from Paul that, and through this hymn, that Jesus is God, right? That he is from the beginning, that he existed before everything. And later on at the end of this passage, we're going to understand how we respond to that. But in 1 John 1, 1 and 2, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is from the beginning. It's his nature. He's God. He is the one that has created all that's around us. And this idea of Christ's pre-existence shows us that Christ had to give up something to dwell among us. He gave up being God so that he may become a human baby and, and come down from heaven and be born in a stable. And we'll talk a little bit more about his incarnation in a minute. But this verse at the end of it when he says something to be used, he didn't use this as something to be used for his own advantage. Jesus being God did not use that to alloy power over people and manipulate people and make him the center of attention and want everything to be perfect. He was willing to give up being in heaven to dwell among us as both God and man like the next series of verses talk about. That through his incarnation of him coming down from heaven and dwelling on earth as a human being who, who he made himself nothing so that we could know God and walk with him and so that he could die on the cross for us. And this idea of the incarnation is hard to understand. It's complicated for us to be able to wrap our mind around it, how, God, how Jesus could be both God and man at the same time. But Tozer said this in the knowledge of holy. He veiled his deity, but he did not void his deity. And then um, Wayne Grudem said this about the incarnation. Jesus will remain fully God and fully man, yet one person forever. In 1 John, in John 1, we get a, uh, a picture of what the incarnation looks like when it says this. The word became flesh, that's Jesus became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus right, didn't take who he was and lloyd that over people. He came down and he dwelled on this earth as both God and man. And he put aside some of his deity and he got hungry and he needed to sleep and he needed to eat and he needed relationships and he needed to, to uh, live just like us on this earth. And then one day he would demonstrate what that meant when he hung on the cross and he bore the sins of all the world on his back. So that he could demonstrate to us the, the love of his father. And so that love then could change us and we could receive forgiveness of our sins. And we could live in the fruitfulness of his ministry in our lives. That's an amazing picture of God. That he was willing to do all of this 
to give us an extreme example of what it means to walk in unity and walk in humility and walk as a servant and walk being willing to sacrifice for one another. It's not something new. Jesus showed us how to do this by his example. It's an amazing gift, right? He could have just said, hey, go live in unity. Go be humble. Go figure it out. You'll make a mess of it, but at some point, you'll figure it out. He didn't do that. He gave us an amazing example of what it means to love his heavenly father, what it means to love one another, what it means to walk in unity in the church, what it looks like to look to the interests of others above yourself. And Jesus did that through being a servant. When Paul's writing this, uh, in the Roman Greek world, this was to, the, the idea of being a servant was a low role. It wasn't looked on as a place of honor. But Jesus made it a place of honor because he demonstrated what it meant to walk in humility and sacrifice for the, those around him. He taught this so powerfully to his disciples in the upper room when it should have been the lowest servant in the room washing people's feet. And here the Lord gets down and he bends his knees and he washes their dirty feet. Those disciples didn't need another example. They got a perfect one in Jesus of what it means to be a servant, to look to the interests of others above yourself. In Mark 10, 45, it says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus continued to serve all the way to the end on the cross. When he bore the sins of this world, will you be a servant? Will you walk in humility? Will you look to the interests of others? And being willing to serve when it's inconvenient. I love that thing in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's life together. Servants are willing to be interrupted. They don't stay on their daily planner and don't look for everything to be perfect. They know that there's going to be interruptions. And that's the best thing about God because he brings interruptions. And then we have to either walk in obedience through them or run the other way. Servants are willing to be uninterrupted. And the best part about this and what Jesus demonstrated to us, it's not about the doing. It's not about a lot of actions and activity and busyness in our life. Because a servant comes from in here. When Jesus said in John 15 that for us, for us to abide in him and apart from him we can do nothing, what he's saying is that he dwells inside of us and he's the one that makes a difference in our life. And when we choose to surrender and serve, it's not us working, it's him working in us and through us in our everyday life. And so it's not about just the activity. It's about the content of your heart. It's about who you are. And so Jesus goes, Paul goes on and the hymn goes on to tell us about sacrifice 
and that Jesus was willing to show the extent of that in verse eight, the end of verse 8 when he says he became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Jesus was willing to show us what it looks like to look to the interests of others above himself. And he did that by dying on the cross, by bearing the sins of this world, being willing to walk and give up his very life so that we could understand what real sacrifice is. What a gift. What a gift that changes everything about us. It's only through Jesus. And when Paul wrote in Romans, God demonstrated his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That changes everything about us. The way we live our everyday life, the way that we look at the body of Christ, the way that we look at our family, the way we look at this world, because a God of, of love has called us and redeemed us to live like his son in the world that we live. What a gift. And so the hymn goes on to put back into perspective how Jesus deserves so much worship for who he is and how he lived. And so we pick up verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name above every name. He gave them the name Lord and Yahweh. He's the Lord of everything. He's the creator of everything. Back in when Paul's writing this, names meant everything. And so for this to, to, to give us this perspective that this name, Lord and Yahweh, means everything to us. Are we willing to bow our knee to do it Jesus' way? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What an amazing thing. Back in Paul's day, this idea of bowing was so uh, rich or engulfed in their, in their culture, but it wasn't to bow their knee for Jesus. They were called to bow their knee to Caesar, to the leader of Rome, and that at the opportunities presented to them, they would need to bow and worship the lords of, of men. And so in this hymn and in this process, Paul's reminding them that you don't bow to the leader of Rome. You bow to Jesus. And you bow and you worship him for who he is as the son of God, both God and man. You bow your knee every time his name is mentioned because of who he is. And because he's worthy of the worship that we are called to give him as we glorify him above everything else. Does your life give glory to God? Do you live the way that Paul said in the first chapter in verse 27, live in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ?
Paul's reminding us through this hymn that we need to walk in humility and unity. We need to be willing to serve and sacrifice for the good of those that are part of your body of Christ. Because Jesus has changed everything, he's called us to be about changing everything with him in the way that we live every day of our life. And so let's uh, land the plane uh, and talk about some applications for today. First of all, um, if you don't know Jesus, um, Jesus really does change everything. The God of the universe created everything, and it was perfect in the garden. And Adam and Eve dwelled there, and, and the communion with God uh, was amazing. And God gave them one thing. He said, don't eat from the tree of good and evil. And w- woman and man couldn't hold it. And they ate from that tree. And sin entered this world. And messiness entered this world. And brokenness entered this world. But God didn't leave things there. We know from Scripture that he loved us immensely. And because of that love, he demonstrated it to us by where we were yet sinners. Christ died on the cross for us. And through his death and his resurrection, we can now have life. And we live in a broken world where there's so much loneliness. COVID has made loneliness a part of our everyday life. And so many people suffer from that. And first of all, a relationship with Jesus will take part of that away. But then Jesus calls us to be part of a community which will meet the other needs through Jesus. And if you don't have that in your life, I hope that you know this is a place that you can experience that. I experienced it so much in this body of Christ, people caring and loving for me and serving me in multiple ways. That's the gift that God gives us through our salvation. The outside world and Crystal Lake should see something different about our church. And as John 13, 34 says, they will know you are Christians by your love. When we live in a world where people are screaming so much noise and so much hate and so much evil and everything is falling apart, this should be a place of refuge. This is where the broken should come to find healing. This is where the broken can come to find salvation. This is where the broken can come for people to love and serve their needs. And if you want to experience joy like Paul's talking about, you get involved in that. You step into that through your relationship with God to meet the needs of those around you. And you will be engulfed with joy. And then God calls us to be part of the body of Christ. He calls us to have commitment and be part of the body of Christ as members. And we have the opportunity to engage in that through the membership class and through the process of being part of the Evangelical Free Church of Crystal Lake, being part of the body of Christ, having the accountability and the encouragement and the love flow into our life through our connection to one another. And then our church has multiple ways for us to get connected. 
We have ABFs where you can show up and study God's word on Sunday and, and experience prayer and love and support in your everyday life. We have community groups that meet throughout the week and we get the opportunity to connect over God's word and prayer and fellowship and fun and good food and be able to support and love one another. Being able to look to the interests of those in our groups above ourselves, all for God's glory. Hopefully, you come to experience that this is a place where people live out Philippians 2 where they're called to walk in unity and humility and follow Jesus' example to make him, give him all the glory and make his name known. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to work in our hearts. We need you to change us from the inside out so that we can live for your glory, to love you, to love one another. And Lord, we ask that if there is brokenness in this place, Lord, that you would bring forgiveness and that people would go to one another and ask for forgiveness and that you would continue to build unity in our church, that you would continue to help us walk humbly with you as we look to the interests of others above ourselves and all of this so that we can live in a way that gives you all the glory. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.